doing? Doing well? <laughs> I was talking uh, to some people in between services, and I was like, man, where, where is everybody this morning? It's a little light on attendance. They're like, well, it's Christmas week. And, uh, and then we were actually watching the World Cup. Like, everybody's doing exactly what we're doing right now. And so I just want you to know, you're definitely going to heaven if you came to church today. And if you're, <laughs> that's not true or biblical, but funny. Um, we can settle eternity at the end today. We're actually going to have a prayer, and you can settle eternity in this meeting, but it's not, that, that, that was not it. I cannot absolve you of sins. And so, uh, but if you are watching the World Cup and Action Church, you're, you may go to heaven. And so I think they call that purgatory. So you're going to go there. I'm just kidding. I'm just having some fun. Everybody doing good today? Excited uh, to wrap up this series. We had a two-week series that I turned into a, a four-week series uh, here today and gone tomorrow. Before we jump into week four, Really talking about something that I really feel like is uh, really important as we end this year uh, and perspective of, of how we're going to live our life moving forward, what we've done to this point. But before we get there, a couple of things. Um, one, uh, I just want to thank you already uh, for your generosity as we've seen about 500 people already take part in our expansion offer and can't wait to celebrate that. We celebrate that every year on our anniversary weekend, our birthday weekend, the end of January. But thank you so much. Uh, for your faithfulness and just love leading and being a part of uh, such a generous church. And then also, if you're planning on joining us, we'd love to have you, your family, uh, friends, coworkers for our, one of our Christmas services. We have seven here at Winter Park. We have one at every other uh, location, uh, but those are filling up. I think two or three have, have already uh, sold out. Uh, and we have several other services uh, available, so please take advantage of that. Those will probably all sell out by the end of the week. If you, for some reason, don't get a ticket, please uh, come anyway. We'll do our best to accommodate you. If for some reason you don't get a ticket here today or online, I would suggest maybe not coming uh, to the four o'clock on Christmas Eve without a ticket. If you do, that's fine. We'll see you in the foyer, and I'll wave to you through the screen, but uh, make sure you do that. Uh, Those are all gonna sell out this week. They're absolutely free, uh, and so go online and get those. Here today, gone tomorrow. Today we're talking about legacy. Everybody say legacy. legacy. I want to talk more, more, than, more than money, more than uh, generosity, more than time, more than all the things we've talked about. I just want to talk about what is our perspective and who are we living for? What, what are we leaving behind when we go? How many of you are like me? You leave things behind all the time. Anybody like me? You just, I'm always leaving something. I'm looking for something every time I leave the house. Anybody else like that? I mean, every time I'm looking for keys, wallet, phone, there is never a time I leave my home where I don't ask, where is something? And I always, I don't know if you're like me, I always leave it somewhere, and when I'm leaving it somewhere, I think, oh, this is a good spot. Like in a shoe on a shelf, like I'm changing and I've literally put my keys. Oh yeah, I'll remember these. I'm going to wear these shoes and then I decide I'm not going to wear the shoes. Oh, why are my keys in a shoe? And that sounded good. Like on a stair, like we have a room above the garage where we kind of have a TV and I, and I found my phone like on the third stair, like I was changing my shoes. And in that moment, I thought this is a good place to leave it. We leave things behind. We, anybody uh, grow up in a big family or maybe you had uh, brothers or sisters or cousins, you had some hand-me-downs, like you hand-me-down clothes, anybody? You know, you, you never got something new, but it was new to you. Mom said it's not new, but it's new to you. Got some older cousins. We, we hand, down, hand down some really weird things, sometimes some great things. Maybe you ladies got like an engagement ring or a wedding ring or a, a family heirloom. There's some great things you hand down. I was talking to our team uh, over uh, this, this message and they said one of their families hands down Tupperware. Like that's a big thing. Like this is your grandmother's Tupperware. Like that's weird. Like I get China, but Tupperware is a little weird. Pastor John Evans, uh, one of our pastors on our uh, spiritual leadership team here, 
Uh, we were talking, and he was in the creative meeting as well, and he was telling this story about hand-me-downs. They have five kids, and he said they were big believers in hand-me-downs at the Evans, especially growing up. And so five kids, and they had this, this sweater, apparently, that, that was just worn by uh, two of the, the, the older girls for a long time. Like, it was an old sweater, and it had a cat on, like an old, ugly cat sweater. You ever had some stuff that your kids wore that you were so happy when they stopped wearing it? Like it not only was it ugly, it had a cat on it. And you just, if you, if you love cats, I don't know that the Lord loves you. You know what I mean? Like somebody has to say it. Somebody has to say it. The cat does not love you. It does not. It's way, it, it thinks it's in charge and it's plotting your death every single day. It's real tall. We got, we got a lot of emails in the Q&A. Is my dog gonna be in heaven? And, and I don't wanna get there theologically or break your heart. I'm not sure, probably not, but I guarantee you, your cat is not in heaven. <laughs> Zero cats in heaven. Gabby loves cats, and uh, I think that her cat is uh, Lucifer, um, uh, and he doesn't even, he's not allowed in the home, because I literally wake up, and I'm thinking he's going he's just, he's gonna to destroy me. Anyways, that's, that's not the point. The Evans give away uh, this, uh, this sweater to Goodwill, uh, uh, to, to somebody else thinking we have, we, have, we have gifted this away. Thank God the sweater's no longer here. Only a year later, their youngest daughter goes into the store and picks out the cat sweater and brings it home. Look at what I found. So cool, so trendy. The cat sweater found its way back to, the, the cat sweater had nine lives. <laughs> we hand things down, come on with Tupperware, uh, rings, clothes, Anybody wearing the Christmas season hand something to somebody else to call a little thing called re-gifting? Any re-gifters in the room? We know who we are. Like, you know, like it's, thank you. I don't love it. I'm gonna give it to somebody else. You just gotta make sure you don't give it in front of the person that gave it to you or give it back to the person that gave it to you. May have ever been there before? Like, oh, you get, I got you this. No, I got you this. Oh, I loved it so much that I thought you could use it. We hand things down, we give things away, we leave things behind. I wanna ask you today, are you leaving something behind on purpose? Are we living for not just ourselves, but for, for others? Are we living for eternity? Are we living for now? I wanna to talk today and dive into a transition, a, a generational moment of someone who lived for legacy and passed it off. I wanna go old school today and book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and I wanna talk about Elijah and Elisha. The pass down of the prophet Elijah to Elisha. See, all throughout scripture, God demonstrates himself and proves himself to be a generational God. He's not just the God of Abraham, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He lists himself as a generational God, as a, he's a big picture God. Far too often we have a short-sighted perspective, but we're serving a generational God. We want the results right now, and God isn't concerned with now because he's infinite, he's eternal, he's never not existed, he will never not exist, and so we're in a hurry, and God is way more patient. Like God knew what he was gonna do through Jacob before he started with Abraham. So far too often, we're like, God, why haven't you shown up? Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you, you, you moved in this way, God? You gave me this promise, and I'm here to tell you today that the promise may not be fulfilled in your generation. That the kingdom of God is a generational kingdom. That he's oftentimes preparing something in this season or this generation for the next one. 
And we see this with Elijah and Elisha. And we see that God prioritizes obedience, faithfulness, and generational mindset over the big wins. See, when I think of Elijah, if you're new to church, Elijah was the story that we tell a lot where he was in front of the prophets of Baal and he called down fire from heaven. It's this whole thing. And most Christians would say, if I said, what is Elijah known for? What's his biggest impact? We would say the prophets of Baal calling down fire from heaven, destroying the idols and destroying the, the, the prophets. That was his big mountaintop moment. That was his championship moment. That was the end all be all. But I would argue today that that wasn't his greatest uh, asset that wasn't his greatest investment into the kingdom of God, that it wasn't destroying idols, it was investing in a person. That the miracles that happened through Elisha's life were way more than the miracles that happened in Elijah's life, that who he raised up as a spiritual son, as an heir, as an apprentice, did way more than he did. His greatest gift to the kingdom of God was not with the prophets of Baal, it was the investment in Elisha giving his influence away. God did not need, or he was not the biggest, like Elijah did not arrive when he defeated the prophets of Baal. It gave him the influence in the region for God to use him to then call up the next generation. And God is always more concerned about what's happening generationally than he is in the moment. The problem for most of us is we don't get to later because we're obsessed with now. We want quick big wins instead of a long faithful process. But God's a generational God and Elijah's value to God was greater than just a moment. It was a lifetime of moments faithfully investing in others. I wanna look at the beginning of the story of Elijah and Elisha today in the end. There's so much we could talk about. We could do a whole series probably on both of these great men of God. We could go through a whole series on their miracles. But just in our time together today, talking about Living for later, living for legacy, passing off the right things. What did Elijah do in this transition? I wanna talk about the call of Elisha to follow Elijah, and then I wanna to jump to 2 Kings chapter two and talk about the, the places that Elijah took him and what they symbolize and how we need to prepare ourselves to live, to live for legacy. 1 Kings chapter 19 says it. So Elijah, he went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders, then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but I think, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood. Uh, from the plow to build a fire and roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah and his assistant. I wanna highlight three things that we see here just to prepare us of what Elisha was going through as he began to answer this call. See, the, the start of this, this journey uh, is, is seen with the faithfulness and the obedience of Elisha. 12 teams of oxen, which means 24 total oxen owned by this family. Those would have been expensive Animals. You would have been secure if you had one oxen to plow the field. They have 24. So Elisha was not laying down a life of nothing to follow God. He was laying down a life of security, a life of success and significance. He was leaving something. He had accumulated a certain amount of things that he did not just, he didn't have anything else to do. And he decided, he was called, he put it, everything down, says through his cloak. 
This is symbolic of, of Elijah putting the mantle, putting the anointing, saying that I'm giving you an anointing to, to follow me. It wasn't just because he was cold. It wasn't an awkward moment. This would have symbolized something to these two men. And the last is think about what I've done to you. You're going home. You're giving up this life of maybe convenience or security to follow me. I wanna highlight something that I think is really important. Elisha didn't just say goodbye. He burned the plows and killed the oxen and fed it to the townspeople. And I think that's important because he was leaving himself no option to return to what he used to do. And I think if you and I have that option, when things get tough, oftentimes we'll return to it. God calls us out of a life maybe of sin, maybe not sin, maybe you're like Elisha, maybe it's just a life out of security a life out of uh, control into following him. And if we don't do something to make sure that we don't go back to that, we'll return to it. And Elisha just walks away. And I picture it like an action movie. You know, he's walking away, that thing is burning and exploding behind him. You know what I mean? He's got a fan on his face, wind blowing, no, no, no debris ever hits him. He's got no blood or sweat, just perfectly. He just lights a match and he's just, he's out of there. He's following the things of God, he, he knew, he knew himself. And he said, if I, don't, if I don't go all in, if I don't leave everything, if, I, if, you know, that first time where Elijah and I disagree, that first time where we're a little bit hungry, that first time where I don't know what's gonna happen, I, I'm gonna go back to safety and security. He, he left it all behind. Something else interesting is Elisha left security, but it took 10 years from this day before Elisha did anything significant with ministry. So he left 12 teams of oxen just to serve for 10 years with no significant marks or moments of why he left. We wanna raise our hand, follow the call of God, go to action step two, start a business, start a ministry, raise our kids, and we wanna be successful the next day. God's a generational God and we're in a hurry and God's not. And the process is often the point when it comes to the things of God. And I think he tests us in seasons of waiting to see if we'll be faithful to actually walk through the promises that we're waiting for. 10 years of serving, 10 years of insignificance of just following Elijah. Elijah's job now was to ensure that he was training Elisha and training him into the right things. And we, we see that all throughout their time together. We see Elijah teaching and modeling and showing because he's investing not just in his own life, not just in what he's doing, but he's investing in the next generation. He's investing in later. He's raising somebody up. And we, we see that end here when Elijah goes to be with the Lord. We see it in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. I want to read it, all 16 verses, because you're going to see a theme here. And then I'm going to highlight the four places that Elijah takes Elisha, and they all have symbolic meaning showing us what, what he's really doing to set him up to, to live well, to lead well. And what Elijah's doing to Elisha here is, is passing off a legacy. And these four places are not just historical in significance, but their meaning to the people of Israel and to, to Elisha himself is really showing him some things. Second Kings chapter two, verse one. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah 
up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. First off, as we read this, I was reading it all week, and if I mess up Elijah and Elisha, just have forgiveness. They're gonna be mentioned about 74,000 times in the next 16, and they're really, really similar. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. That's gonna be redundant as well. So they both went together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is gonna take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. I found this funny all week. I don't know why I did. Maybe it's just a church kid humor, pastor humor. I just thought it was funny that a group of prophets came out and asked another prophet, did you know what God was going to do? If you've never been at a, at a, at a church with a, with, with a lot of uh, uh, teams or small groups or, or people that you know, hear from God, really spiritual people, those are all really great gifts to the body of Christ. But if you've never been in a place where people are like, well, that's not what I heard from God. Well, God said this, and somebody else says, no, God didn't say that. If you've never been in that, that's a, that's a really fun environment to be, to, to decide who heard from God. I just found that funny. The prophets came out and they were like wearing their, their prophet outfit, their, 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 their cloak saying, did you hear from God? He's like, of course I heard from God. That was way funnier to me. I get it. It's just, sometimes it gets boring studying for hours. I'm just, I'm laughing about prophets. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went to Jericho together. Then a group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know the Lord is gonna take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elijah. Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together, stuck it, or struck the water with it. Then the river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you as I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. So you've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. And as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried in a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his cloak in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord? the God of Elijah, then the river divided and Elisha went across. We see this transition happen, but what I wanna highlight is the four places that Elijah took Elisha because they, they represent something that I believe will teach us today on how, how to live for, for legacy, how to live for the next generation, how to live focused on what we're actually passing down. The first place he took him was Gilgal, was Gilgal. They started there. This was a historic place to the Israelites it was where they had gathered with Joshua before crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. This was recognized as a place of a, of a new journey, a new promise, a new place. The first thing I want you to write down on how to live for legacy is we gotta learn how and where to start. How and where we're going 
to start. He took him to Gilgal because this was the place where it began. If he's gonna be a prophet for the people of God, he needs to understand how and where it began. That at this moment, they, they couldn't cross the Jordan River and the, the God parted it and they walked across to inherit and begin to dwell in the, the promised land. We gotta learn how to start. Like a new journey. And, and I'm just believing as we end this year, I believe something happens and, and we're not gonna be able to do everything different every single year, but there's something that happens in our, in our, in our mental state and our emotions where we're more uh, susceptible to change this time of year. What is the new thing that God is calling you to start? And how and where are you gonna start? Just believe for new places in your walk with God, new, new places and new journeys and your, your testimony and your calling and your relationships for the things God has for you. But do you know where and how to start? And the best place to start is to be in the presence and following God. You should go ahead and mark your calendars and get ready as we get ready in the second week of January. We're gonna do our seven days of prayer and fasting and you wanna know where and how you should start a new season a Gilgal in your life, it should be in the presence of God and we're gonna meet for seven days at our permanent locations and we're gonna seek God. Can't wait to talk about the things that, of prayer and fasting and the things and the, the focuses and all that we have. Learn how and where to start. I love that Elijah always asked him to stay behind but Elisha was right there with him knowing that he had to be right where God's man was and where he was called to be. Here's the second thing, Bethel in 2 Kings 2, 1 and 2 how to live for legacy. The second thing, write this down, learn how to hear from God. If we're gonna live for legacy, learn how to hear from God. They go to Bethel. And Bethel is a place where God's presence met with people. It's a holy place. It's a place, a location in Genesis 28 where Jacob had the dream where God says to him that he will never leave him and shows him his, his holiness and his perfection. Elijah takes Elisha there to a place where God spoke, where God communicated with man, where God gave visions for generations, a vision that Elisha will now be operating under. We gotta learn how to hear from God. So I ask you a question today. What's the loudest voice in your life? Is it the things of God? Is it the voice of God? Is it the calling of God? Or is it the things that you're doing, that you're building? We cannot live for now and live for later. Our, our focus and our perspective is either on eternity or it's on the here and now. And our focus determines what we're actually going to do with our life. Our focus determines what we're looking at, the lens that we're seeing things through, the filter, it, it changes how we see people. It changes how we see situations. It changes how we see time. It changes how we see our resources. It changes all of them. We have the right focus. So I'm just asking you today, where is your focus? Who are you listening to? What is the filter in which you see things through? Is it an eternal perspective? Is it the voice of God? Is it the word of God? Or is it our own desires and our own control? Here's the next one. Uh, Elijah takes Elisha to Jericho. Here's the third thing, how to learn to live for legacy. Write this down. Learn how to trust God's provision. He wanted him to go and learn how and where to start. The foundation of how and where we start, by the way, in New Testament is a relationship with Jesus. The second thing, how, how do you hear from God? Because unless we hear from God where we should go, how we should go, what we should do, we'll never be going in the right direction. It is so important that you learn to hear from God on your own. 
I love that you're here today. I love that we gather in worship. It is a biblical mandate that we gather together, that we congregate as a body of believers and we are encouraged and we worship and we learn together and then we go out and reach people. That is what we're supposed to do. But I cannot hear from God for you. Now, collectively, congregationally, as pastors, we definitely hear from God for the vision of our church, but you individually, the part that you play in it, that's your role. That's you hearing from God. And what my greatest prayer as we grow as a church and spiritually mature, as we go into the 10th year of our existence, is that we would have thousands of believers that hear from God for themselves. Yes, we're submitted to the lordship of Jesus and the leadership of Jesus. Yes, we are in the body of Christ and there are different parts and there's spiritual authority and there's leaders and there's mentors and there's Bible studies and there's pastors that teach and there's things that we can learn, but I need you to hear from God for you. Your day of eternity is not a group project. I hope to see you in heaven, but I'm not gonna be there when God's going through the list of what you did right and wrong. What'd you do with my son, Jesus? That's a get it right or get it wrong question. But then we're gonna have a moment where we answer for all of our time here and what we did. And you've got to be responsible for you. And you gotta learn how to hear from God. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to your family? What is God saying in this, this season? You gotta hear from God. And then here's the next one, Jericho. Learn how to trust God's provision. Jericho was a historical city. If you've been in church, you've heard this one where they go and they fight. A city where God provided victory. The fortified city fell not by conquest, but by obedience. The walls fell down as Joshua followed God's instructions. It represents that no matter the obstacle that the victory is the Lord's. Are you like me, church? Do you, when you pray and God gives you the answer, his provision, don't, don't you like it a lot better when it makes sense? No? Oh, you, you got, Pastor, we got people full of faith in here. Like they just know, I just, whatever God says, I do. Yeah, right. God's provision sometimes looks different than our provision. Like if you're, if you're Joshua in this situation and God's like, hey, march around the walls, I'm thinking that can't be what you mean. You know what I mean? Like that's gotta be figurative or symbolic. Like he, what he means is charge. Like if he said charge, I'm in. If he says walk around and be quiet, like I'm kind of walking around thinking, God, are you sure? And I think a lot of times his provision looks differently and, and what God, what, what, what Elijah is showing Elisha, they're taking him to Jericho, he's reminding him that God's provision won't always look like how you would have provided. If I'm Joshua, I pray for more soldiers, not more people to march and pray and worship and be silent. And what he's reminding him here is that there's a different way in which God provides. And if we're gonna live for legacy, we gotta learn to trust God's provision, which means the answer may not always make sense. The answer may not always be how we would do it. And we have a choice if we're gonna trust God's provision or if we're gonna operate in our own control. Here's the last one. He took him to the Jordan River. So Gilgal and then Bethel and Jericho, now the Jordan River. And here's the last one, how to live for legacy. We need to learn how to walk by faith. We need to learn how to walk by faith. To trust God. When he took him to the Jordan River, it's where they would have crossed the, for the promised land the first time. And he's taking him back and showing him a group of people that were led by Joshua, but that were walking by faith. 
not getting it all right, but, but trusting God one step at a time to cross into the land that he had given them. I just wanna ask you a question today. Is, is your life marked by, by faith or by control? By faith or by fear? So many times we're building something for ourselves, and God's just not all that concerned with us getting the credit. He's concerned with building his kingdom and it's generational. Elijah didn't leave behind trophies. He didn't leave behind all of his list of the great things that he's done. You notice the only thing he left behind was his cloak, his mantle, his anointing. The greatest thing he could pass down was not inside or accolades or networking or relationships. The thing that he left behind was his cloak, his mantle, his anointing, the power and the presence of God saying this is, this is what you need to move forward more than anything else. I mean, think about it. He could have taken him anywhere. He could have told him anything. There wasn't a lot of conversation going on because he was showing him the great moments that God had provided for his people. The great memories, the great victories, the great wins. He was reminding him of all that God has done and then he was leaving with him all that he needed, which was the presence and the power of God. He left a legacy, Elijah did, not just at Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, but it says that Elisha did exponentially more miracles than Elijah. His greatest investment was not in his lifetime. His greatest investment was in the life of somebody else. And I just think it's what we're called to do, church. This is not a rah-rah message. We're not gonna be standing and charging the hill today. What I'm asking us to do as we end this year is really contemplate how are we spending, living, investing all the things that God has given us, are we building it for ourselves and for now, or are we building it and leaving it for later? And it looks different. You may not see the rewards of all that you've done, even in your lifetime. And it may not be on a mountaintop or a platform with a microphone and a small group and a ministry, the greatest things you do with your life may never be seen in your lifetime. They may not be seen in this city. We've said it so many times over the years. Action Church, what God has done in nine years has been miraculous, but we're reaping a harvest that we didn't plant. There was a lot of Elijahs. There was a lot of men and women, a lot of prayer team members, a lot of prophets, a lot of pastors, a lot of just faithful Christians who, who've prayed. And we are just a part of an answer to a small section of the body of Christ of what people prayed and served and gave for dozens of years, for hundreds of years, for generations. And now we get to see it. There are people that prayed for you to be here that are no longer even walking this earth. Like they didn't even know, they don't even know 
I guarantee you there was men and women who walked by this property, who walked by Haggerty High School, who walked by Airport Boulevard or South Orlando. They walked by and they prayed for God to move and they no longer live here. They no longer even breathe air off this earth. They're in eternity and their prayers are answered. There's been an addict that's been set free. There's been a family that's been restored. There's been a life that's been given to Jesus and they don't even know. The greatest thing that you do in this life may not be what actually you do, but what you do for someone else. The greatest thing you do in this life may not be what you do. It may be the people, the little humans that God's called you to raise. The greatest thing you do in this life may not be what you do. It may be what you give, what you pray. That's our story. That's Action Church's story. 1,000%. The person that believed in Action Church to start was not me, it was my grandmother. My Nana, she's 87 years old. I'm gonna go see her this week, my last grandparent alive, and take the family up, spend a few days before Christmas services. And she's been praying for 70 years or so for you. She didn't know it. She didn't know it was Orlando. She didn't know it was Action Church. In fact, she thought, you've heard the story, it's funny, she thought my dad was gonna be the pastor. She tried to convince him for about 25 or 30 years, Steve, you're supposed to be a pastor. He's like, no, I'm not. Proves that even really holy people can miss the details sometimes. There ain't nobody holier than my grandmother, except for maybe my mom. They've both forgotten more scripture than I've ever known. But she prayed. And God is a generational God. She had the right prayer and even the right promise. She just had the wrong generation. That it took generations to get here. It took my my dad doing what he did with his life and trusting God and believing God for us to get to this moment. My grandmother lives in a town that's smaller than our action kids have in one service at one location. There's like 45 people in that town and she never left it. Still lives there. Pea Ridge, Alabama. P-E-A, by the way. It's not like a... There's nobody there. She never had to leave. She never had a microphone. She never had a platform. If I wasn't telling you the story, she'd never even get the credit. But she was the initiator of tens of thousands of people meeting Jesus. Can I just set you free? When you're living for legacy, you're, you're giving up leadership of your own life and you're giving up being the main character of your own life because the story's not about you. The story's not about my Nana. That's, you'll never even meet her. But the deposits she made in prayer have changed thousands of people's eternities and lives. You don't have to be the central figure, the main character to make a generational impact. And it's not always gonna be easy. I've shared her story before, but she's had two houses burned down, an unfaithful husband for two or three decades. My granddad was a great granddad, but a terrible husband. So many things that she walked through. Two babies died, less than 10 days old. 
So it's not like, the, we think so many times I tell that story, you're like, oh, she just, just must have been great. She gets up and she prays and she fasts and it's all easy. No, a life of kingdom and a life of legacy and a life of generational impact doesn't say it's gonna be easy. He just says it's gonna be worth it. Just because you get the answer to some of the prayers doesn't mean that God answers all of the prayers that, the way that you want to. And so I'm just here to encourage you today. Say, Pastor Water, I'm not believing that. It's not every season where you're gonna be full of faith to walk through it, but just keep going. How? Back to what I said earlier, your focus. That we're gonna know how and where we're gonna start. That's so important that you have a foundation on Jesus. You gotta learn how to hear from God. You gotta learn how to hear from God on the mountaintop and the valley. And then you gotta learn to trust God's provision because there will be seasons of your life, days of your life where you are no longer in control and you cannot provide what's needed. That's when you need to trust God's provision. And then once he calls you, once you hear from him, once he provides the plan, you gotta walk by faith because there'll be seasons where you don't feel like walking anymore. I wanna read a couple things to you and then we'll close. A couple things on legacy. Really want us to wrestle with this one. I I wrestle with it all week. I love to be funny and I love to preach and we're gonna have a ton of fun at Christmas. I, I really wanted this to be a, contemplative message that we wrestle with going into the new year. What are we living for? And here's where I want to leave it. An inheritance, that's not what I'm talking about. Inheritance is what we leave for someone. A legacy is what we leave in someone. I want to ask you today, what are you leaving in people? Because what you leave in people will outlive you. What you invest in others will make your life live way beyond your life. The principles the resources, the the things of God. God, if I can give my boys anything right now, it would just be experiences with God because I'm not gonna be here forever, but he will be with them forever. I, I wanna give them more of him. Are you taking people to these places, the Gilgals, the Bethels, the Jerichos, the Jordan Rivers? Hey, son or daughter, hey, Christ follower, hey, somebody that's following me, here's what God did here. Here's what God did here. Here's what God taught me here. The greatest gift that you can give the people around you is the gift of Jesus and the experiences you've had with him. Let's just change our perspective and live for later. Would you bow your heads today at every location, every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we love you. God, we praise you. We thank you for all that you've given us. God, I pray as a church that we would go into a season of maturity, of reflection, that we would change our perspective. Here today and gone tomorrow, it's brief, but eternity is infinite. And I just pray that we'd focus on that. Gives us a different filter. Church, we're talking about eternity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I mentioned it earlier, but I do wanna give you an opportunity to kind of burn the plows and leave everything behind. A life lived for legacy can only start once we trust Jesus. If we're talking about true legacy, we're talking about the kingdom of God and the family of God and following him. The only thing that, the only thing worth passing down is that relationship and you have to have that relationship to pass it down. And I'm just believing today that God's calling you into new places and new seasons and calling you to, to live for more than just for you. But to really understand that, you have to, you have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Jesus, who lived for you, died as you, raised through life, giving you victory and power. The cross represents forgiveness. The resurrection represents victory. Our job is to surrender, to give him control. If you wanna do that today, when you wanna make Jesus the Lord of your life, I'd love to pray with you. If that's you, across all of our locations, say, I wanna accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time ever. Our God is speaking to you right now and it's more of a, a sign of recommitment. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Say, I need Jesus in my life. I'm burning, yes, yes, yes. Gotcha. Proud of you. You put your hands down. Would you pray this in your hearts? I pray it out loud. Say this, say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. And I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. Jesus, have your way in my life. Thank you for saving me. Now, God, I do pray for all of us today, every single one of us. As we wrap up this year, I pray that we would look and we would allow you to look and reveal things that, that we need to change, that we need to start, that we need to end, whatever it may be, that we would not live for now, but we live for later. We love you. We praise you in this place. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. And amen, church, can we celebrate the decisions that were just made? Come on, really celebrate. I'm so proud of you.